May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Glad you're here today on this happy Easter morning when we get to say Alleluia again. Uh, this is a day of firsts. This is the first time we have not had the sunrise service over there. We had it in the church because it was all set up and ready to go, but it was misting. We had a heavy rain here yesterday, last night, and it was really muddy. And Matthew couldn't set up the sound equipment. And we just said we're going to have it over here. So we did, and it worked. It was plan B. So we had to work our way through plan B as we were executing plan B. But it worked out okay. Got a little candles and the dim lights were dim. The other new thing are these beautiful lilies, which are not real. They are artificial, courtesy of Brenda Eppel. Brenda Carroll, sorry. They're beautiful, for, and we get to use them over and over again. And if anybody, I, I know there are people that are, have a reaction to the real thing, so that's not a problem anymore. But don't take them with you. Okay? Armed guards at the door will make sure that they stay here. Um, it's my custom on Easter to really do what I call the Bible from 80,000 feet. And it's an overview of Scripture from the beginning to where we are today. Where, where have we come from? Where, where are we? Where are we headed? Why is this important? And I think it's important that we just every, at least once a year, to sort of uh, get the sweep of the Word of God. You know? And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all that went with it. And he said it was very good. No, he said it was good. And when he created man, Adam, he said it was very good. And then he created Eve because he said man should not be alone. It's not right that man should be alone. He needs a helpmate. So he created this woman. And all being, it was all good. Everything was in relationship. Everything was the way it should be. They were in relationship with one another. They were in relationship with the creation. They were in relationship with God. It was perfect, just the way God created it. He did say, however, you can do anything you want, just don't eat of the tree of the fruit of, uh, not fruit, true knowledge and eat, not, yeah. <laughs> eat of the true fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Thank you. Yeah. Third time. So then in chapter 3 of Genesis, uh, trouble comes, evil comes into the world, it's a serpent, and he gets a hold of and he said, he said, uh, did God really say you shouldn't eat anything? No, he didn't say that, he just said I can't eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, why not? Well, if we eat it, he said we'll die. You're not going to die if you eat it. Parenthetically, God is a liar. Look at it. Try it. It won't hurt you. And she does. And then she gives it to Adam. And immediately they both know they've done something wrong. They were now out of fellowship with everything that they were in fellowship with. It's bad between them, creation, and now God. Serpent disappears. God comes and says, hello, Adam, Eve, where are you? We're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. Who told you you were naked? Well, and he tells the story. 
And that breaks the relationship between God and creation. Genesis 3. We live in a Genesis 3 world. This is why when people say, why do bad things happen? Because of that. And they are forced out of the garden. God posts a guard. They have a son, Cain, and a son, Abel. Cain offers a sacrifice to God. It is not received. Abel offers a sacrifice to God. It is received. And Cain is upset with his brother, Abel, and he kills him. Things go from bad to worse. Genesis chapter 6, we find Noah, and God says, I'm done with a whole lot of you. We're going to start over. So he has Noah build this thing called an ark. If I were to ask you, how many sheep did Noah bring onto the ark, what would you say? The answer is 14. Gasp. 14. When you read Genesis chapter 7, God says, I want you to bring seven pairs of every clean animal and one pair of every unclean animal. So of the clean animals, they brought on 14. We get mixed up because we say two by two. That's how you think of it. The ark was bigger than I thought. Noah was 600 years old when he built the ark. Who's the oldest person here? How old are you, ma'am? 88. You've got a long way to go. You're not even close. 600 years old. Took him 100 years to build it. People are giving him a hard time. What are you doing, you dummy? What, are you, what is this? Not in a place where it rains. They didn't understand. Anyway, the flood comes 40 days, 40 nights. And the only people left, the eight people in Noah's family. And they start over. The earth is repopulated. And one of the people that is there is Abram. He'll become Abraham. His wife is Sarai. She'll become Sarah. And they live in Ur of the Chaldees, and that's modern-day Iraq. And God says to him, Abram, I want you to pick up everything you have and go west. I'll tell you when to stop, and he stops in Canaan. Abraham and Sarah were old, and they, they couldn't have children. But in a miracle of birth, Isaac is born. You can imagine how they felt about their son, Isaac. God says to Abraham, I want you to take Isaac to the mountain and sacrifice him to me. And, okay puts the wood on Isaac's back. They walk away. They go up the mountain when he's ready to do his do it on the altar. And God says, stop, don't do it. I didn't mean for you to do it. I only wanted to know if you would. I wanted to know if you would be faithful and obey me. There's a ram in the bush. So he sacrifices the ram. Time goes on. <clears throat> Isaac gets married and has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is the younger. Esau is the older. But Jacob steals his brother's birthright. And Jacob has 12 sons, the patriarchs. The second youngest is Joseph. Joseph is kind of a snotty kid, thinks a lot of himself, has a dream where he says that to his other brothers, he said, you know, I dreamt that you guys were like um, sheaves of wheat out there. 
and you all bow down to me. What do you think of that? You, dad, you know dad likes me best. Look at my coat. It's a coat of many colors. It's interesting when, uh, when the siblings think, know that the parent thinks one is above the other. I did a funeral here a couple Saturdays ago for Bill Brack. He had four boys and one girl. And I walked into the sacristy before the funeral, and I see this huge display of balloons, and at the top of the balloon is coming, of the thing is coming out a big number one. And I went, what? And one of the brothers says, don't say anything. I said, okay. So when the daughter gets up to speak, he goes up and he brings out this balloon thing, and, it's and she doesn't know it's there, and behind her is the big number one coming up behind her head because the boys all know that she was number one. And they all knew that Joseph was number one. And one day, the father says, Abraham, or Je uh, Isaac says, go, or Jacob says, go out and take a trip out there, check on your brothers, see how they're doing, come back and give me a report. So he does. So he shows up, he's got the coat, and they say, we're had it, we've had it, we're done with you. They're going to kill him. But while they're trying to figure out what they're going to do, they put him in a well. And then a Midian slave trader caravan comes by. They pick him up out of the well. They take the coat off. They, throw, they sell him to the slave traders, and off he goes to Egypt. They kill an animal. They bloody the coat. They bring it back to, to Jacob and tell him that, that the son is Joseph is dead, and he's all distraught. Joseph goes to Egypt, and he's bought by a ranking official named Potiphar. Potiphar elevates him to the master of the house. Potiphar's not the only one that takes a liking to Joseph. His wife also does. And she's trying to get at him. She's always after him, after him, after him. Joseph keeps saying, no, no, no. And one day Joseph goes into the house and doesn't realize that she's the only one there. And she comes after him and he says, no. <clears throat> and he starts to run out of the house and she grabs his cloak and she pulls it off and he runs away. She takes that to her husband. Said, see? See what he tried to do to me? I told you he was no good. Off he goes to prison. While in prison, the warden likes him, elevates him to kind of running the show. The Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker are in prison as well. They've kind of got cross-threaded with Pharaoh. They each have a dream. They don't know what it means. David says, or Joseph says, tell me what it means. Tell me what your dream is. I'll tell you what it means. So he says to the baker, in three days your head's coming off, and the cupbearer, in three days you're going to be restored. So they're out, they're let out, and in three days, and Joseph, as they're leaving, Joseph says, don't forget me. Remember, remember me. So the cupbearer has, is, he's restored. The baker has his head cut off. Two years go by. Forgets about Joseph. Then the pharaoh has a dream. He says, I've had this dream, and I don't know what it means. And the cupbearer says, I know a guy. I remember a guy when I was in prison. I had a dream and he interpreted it. He says, well, get him. So he brings Joseph in. Joseph says, what's the dream? Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows. Seven skinny cows eat the seven fat cows. What the heck does that mean? And Joseph says, well, the seven fat cows represent seven years of plenty. The seven skinny cows represent seven years of famine. And while you're in the years of plenty, you better be storing up grain because when the famine hits, you're going to be the only one in the world that's got anything to give away. 
So Pharaoh says, what wisdom. You're amazing. And he elevates Joseph to be number two in the kingdom with a signet ring. And sure enough, seven years of plenty. They store it up. Then there's seven years of famine, and everybody's coming because nobody else has anything. And who comes? Joseph's brothers come from Canaan. There's a lot of back and forth. They leave, they come back, they leave, they come back. But finally, they're there before Joseph, and he reveals himself. Now, they think Joseph's going to have them killed because of what they did to him, and Joseph restores them. And they say, get my dad, get, 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 get Jacob, and bring him down here. We're all going to live in the land of Goshen. That goes on for many, many years, and they multiply, and they become very plentiful. And then it says in Exodus, there arose in Egypt a king that did not know Joseph. Hard to believe, but it's true. What he does know is that over here in Goshen, you've got maybe a million or more of these foreigners who are populating the place like crazy. And he says, we better do something with these people or they're going to take us over. So they make slaves of them. So for the next 400 years, they're enslaved. One of the pharaohs says, if there's a baby that's born and it's a boy, you kill it. The mother has a baby. She puts the baby in a basket. The basket flows down the river, and the group of women take the basket. The mom goes around and says, ooh, I'll, take, I'll raise that baby for you. And the one who had the basket was Pharaoh's daughter. Moses is actually raised in the court of Pharaoh. He grows to be an adult. And he's out one day, and he's witnessing something. The guys are having a fight, and he kills an Egyptian. And he's outed, and he runs away. He goes into the, into the wild, and he becomes a herdsman, a shepherd. Then he has an encounter with a burning bush. And in the burning bush, the Lord says, I want you to go to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, I hear you, but you know I'm not much of a public speaker. I'm not really good at that. I think you got the wrong guy. And God said, I don't have the wrong guy. Aaron is a polished public speaker, your brother. He will go with you. But you're going. So they go all the back and forth with plagues and this and that and flies and locusts and bloody water, the whole thing. And the final one was the death of the firstborn. And God said, if you put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the angel of death will go over, will pass over your house and not take your firstborn. The Passover. That's where it comes from. But nobody else did that, and so the firstborn of animals and children, they're all gone. They're dying. Pharaoh finally says, fine, get out of here. Just leave. And so maybe up to two million of them gather up their stuff, silver, gold, all kinds of stuff, and off they go. And they get out in the desert. They get to the Red Sea. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's had a change of heart, and he, he rallies the army to follow them and take them out. So now they're at the Red Sea, and the army's coming, and they're saying, now what are we going to do? And God says, raise your staff, Moses. And he raises the staff, the seas part. They get across. The seas come back in as the army is going across, and the army's wiped out. Now they're in the wilderness. They wander around for a couple of years, but now they're up here near the promised land. And Moses says, I want one guy from each tribe. I want 12 men to go in there and scout out the place. So they do, and two of the guys are Joshua and Caleb. In they go. They stay for 40 days, and they come back. And Moses says, well, how was it? What did you see? He says, man, it's, it's amazing. 
It's fertile, it's lush, great. But we can't go in. We couldn't make it because these guys are like giants. We get cream. Joshua and Caleb says, what do you mean we get cream? We're not going to get cream. God is the one sending us. How could we lose? And a few of them go back and they get cream because they disobeyed God. And God says to Moses, for every day that those scouts were in the promised land, you're going to wander around in this desert for a year. Forty days in the promised land, 40 years in the desert. And they do. Comes to the end of the 40 years, they're standing on a mountain. Moses and Joshua are there. He's ready to hand off to Moses, to Joshua, because he's going to die. He's not going to go in the promised land, because at one point in the wilderness, they didn't have water, and Moses cried out for the Lord to provide water, and, and God said, speak to the rock, and you'll get water. And Moses struck it with a stick twice. And God said, I told you to say something. You didn't, I didn't tell you to strike it with a stick. But because you disobeyed me, you're not going into the promised land. But I do remember that he did get there because he was standing on a mountain with Elijah when Jesus came to the Mount of Transfiguration. So he did show up, finally. So off they go, and Joshua's the leader. Caleb is his right-hand man. And they have a good run. They, they encounter the various kingdoms and tribes, and they, they be, defeat them in battle, and they have a good, a good settlement. <clears throat> and then after that, there's a period of what they call the judges, and God would raise up a leader, because when Joshua and Caleb died, it kind of wasn't always great. And what you'd do is you'd, you'd start out at like noon, and this is where you're in right relationship with God, but then you'd start doing things like worshiping foreign gods and marrying the foreign women and all the rest of it. And it would get worse and worse and worse. So you get down to the bottom here, about six, and it's like, <clears throat> help. They've got, a, they've got their foot on our necks, and we have, we have no help. And God would respond and raise up a judge, Deborah, Gideon, Samson, somebody. And they would start to come back to be faithful to God. And they would be up here faithful to God for maybe 20, 40, 60, even 80 years. But then that cycle would start all over again. And at the end of that time, a prophet is raised up, Samuel. Samuel is God's man. And the people come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And Samuel says, we don't have a king. We have God as our king. We're not like the other people. Well, we want to be like everybody else. We want a king. Samuel goes to God. God says, okay, give him a king. Give him Saul. So he picks now, Saul is the chosen king, but over here you've got this guy, David, the shepherd boy. He's kind of the shadow king. And Samuel says Saul's the king, but he also says David's the king. And David and Saul go back and forth. They're on good terms. They're in bad terms. They're, they're, Saul is trying to kill David. Then they get along. It's really a mess. Saul is finally killed in battle, and David becomes the king. And he rules for 40 years. And the 12 tribes... Get along. It's called the United Kingdom. And he's followed by his son Solomon who builds the temple. And he's there for 40 years. But when Solomon dies, things go south. They don't work out. And you have the divided kingdom. So you have 10 tribes in the north, Israel. And you have two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, Judah. Israel has 22 kings in its lifespan. None of them are good. Every single one of them, no good just get further and further and further away from God. And the prophet Isaiah is in Israel at the time, and he's saying, boys, you got to come back. Stop. This is wrong. Get back to where we need to be. God says, God says, God says. 
we don't care, we don't care, we don't care. And God finally says, okay, fine, have it your own way. See what happens. And what happens is in 722 B.C., Tiglath-Pileser from Assyria comes in and wipes out Israel, totally conquers it, takes off the best and the brightest and repopulates the place with the dregs of the societies and cultures that they have conquered elsewhere. And they become half-breeds known as the Samaritans. That's where the Samaritans came from. Down in Judah, Jeremiah is busy as a prophet saying the same thing Isaiah was saying to Israel, but nobody's listening. And finally God says, fine, have it your own way. And in 586 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in and wipes out Judah. And he carts off the best and brightest of Babylon, including people like Daniel. And they're in exile for 70 years. And then a new king rises up, Cyrus, and Nehemiah has a word from God, and he goes to the king. He says, I really feel like I should take people. We should go back. And he says, okay. And he takes people back, and they begin to rebuild the walls around the temple. And it goes okay. But then God is silent for 400 years. No word. And after that period of time, a young man is born to an elderly couple. And he turns out to be John the Baptist. John reminds people of Elijah because he wears these camel skin clothes and he eats locusts and wild honey. And he's out in the desert and he's baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's got tax collectors, he's got military people, he's got the commoners coming, and they're all being baptized. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians, the, the establishment, hate him because he's kind of moving into their territory. And they come out to see what's going on. That's when he says, who, who told you to escape from the coming wrath, you brood of vipers? And then about the time John is born, another little baby is born in Bethlehem. His name is Jesus. He's born to Mary and Joseph. <coughs> he grows up. He's a, in a little backwater town of Nazareth. Becomes a craftsman carpenter and a stonemason, all kinds of different things. That's what that word means, not just the carpenter. And he shows up out at the Jordan one day as he gets ready to begin his ministry. And John sees him coming. They're cousins. And he knows who Jesus is somehow, and he says, no, 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 no. I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to untie your sandals. And Jesus says, no, if this is the way it's supposed to work, this is how it's going to go. You baptize me as I begin this ministry. And he does. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens part, the dove descends, the voice speaks. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And off he goes for 40 days. The Holy Spirit leads him into the desert to be tempted for 40 days. You ever see that word 40? It rained for 40 days. They were in scouting things out for 40 days. They were in the desert for 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. It wasn't really 40. 40 in that lingo means a long time. So when you see the word 40, it means a long time. So he's out there, and the devil is tempting him. And finally, he goes, and Jesus has this amazing ministry. Amazing. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Meanwhile, John the Baptist is 
arrested because he told Herod, it's not a good idea that you married your brother's wife. Bad on you, wrong. They put him in jail. So John sends his guys to Jesus to say, are you really the guy that we thought you were? Because this wasn't part of the plan, me being in prison. Jesus never says yes or no. He always says something. He said, go tell John what you see. The lame walk, the deaf hear, the dumb speak, and the big one is the blind see. Because no one in the Old Testament has ever healed of blindness. They're healed of everything else, but they're not healed of blindness because that was a miracle reserved for the Messiah. Jesus starts to heal the blind. It's another way that he's revealing himself as to who he is. So Jesus has this amazing ministry, and now we're at the end of his time, and, and he goes into Jerusalem. It's Holy Week. as the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's crucified on Friday. He's in the tomb on Saturday, and on Easter Day, today, he rises from the dead. Hallelujah. He is risen. He reveals himself to the disciples. He spends 40 days with them. Then he ascends to heaven. Now the disciples go, okay, now what are we going to do? They're in the upper room. Holy Spirit comes. Pentecost fills them with power. Peter opens the, the, uh, the windows, starts to preach, and 3,000 people come to faith. And they begin to take seriously what Jesus said. He said, this is going to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, even Ocala. Even Ocala for all that. That's not in the text, but I know it's what he said. <laughs> and it starts to go. And there are a lot of people that aren't happy about that, including Saul. And Saul, he's on it. And he's going city to city to city, rounding up these Christ followers, dragging them back to Jerusalem for persecution, prosecution, execution. And now he's taken a group to Damascus to round up Christians in Damascus, and he has an encounter with the Lord, and he's on his face on the, on the road. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He has his encounter with Christ, and he goes to the home of Ananias in Damascus, and his eyes are open, and his name is changed from Saul to Paul. This is St. Paul, the greatest evangelist the world has ever known. He begins to have these missionary trips. More and more people are converted. And as time goes on, as years goes on, as centuries go on, more and more people come to faith in Christ. All this is possible because of the resurrection. No resurrection, no faith. No resurrection, no hope. Because you see, when that tear occurred in the Garden uh, of Eden, that was a break that nobody, no human being could repair. That had to be done by God himself. That's why he sent his son in order to do it. Apart from Christ, there is no hope. That's a sobering thought. I always say at funerals, this is not all there is. There is life after this, life on earth. We are all going to live forever. All of us are going to live forever. Some people think you live, you die you're food for worms. No. Uh-uh. No. We will either live for eternity with God in heaven, or we will live for eternity separated from God in hell. Those are the two choices. 
It's a very sobering thought. How do I make it heaven? I make it heaven by recognizing my condition as a sinner, saying there's nothing on my own that I can do about it to repair the breach between God and myself, thanking Jesus for what he did for me on the cross, repenting of my sins, meaning turning away from the world and walking to God, changing the way I think, receiving his forgiveness through his death on the cross, and being reconciled with the Father, not on my own, but through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I am justified before a holy and righteous God, not because of anything I did, but because of what he did for me. And I begin to live a life that reflects the fact that I'm in a new relationship with him. Things begin to change. That's the gospel. That's the truth. And it's true for everybody. It's going to be either one or the other. But today is the day that made that heaven choice possible. Possible. If you wonder if you've made that move, if you've made that choice, if you've made that decision in your life and you're not sure, call, call me. I'll talk to you. But it's real. But the good news is, the good news is, he is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.